You are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. So Easter Sunday is March 31st, six weeks from today. I have high hopes for us as a community of faith between then and now. I have high hopes that we'll all get lots of wonderful Easter candy. I have high hopes that the flowers might start to be blooming by then, that the birds might be singing. And more importantly than that, I have high hopes that as a community of faith, we'll make this Lenten journey and grow and change and become more fully the people that God calls us to be. I'm hoping that we can deepen our Christian identity, that we can have a better understanding of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In a very tangible way, I think that means my hope is that we'll be more awake, more alive, more alert to the love of God and the, uh, the calling of being a disciple, of following, of following Jesus. Um, Seeking first God's kingdom, loving our neighbors, and doing what we can do, whatever we can do, to make this world a better place, to continue what Jesus began 2,000 years ago. So, if that's our hope for Easter Sunday, that's my hope for Easter Sunday, how are we going to get there? Well, one way we're going to get there is with the next five Sundays, this Sunday and the following four Sundays, with these five practices or five disciplines that we're focusing on, um, taking the season of Lent very seriously. Lent began four days ago with Ash Wednesday, and it continues for 40 days through to Easter. Um, Traditionally, it's a time for Christians to remember Jesus fasting and praying in the wilderness. The Bible tells us he did that for 40 days, which is why Lent lasts for 40 days. Remember, we don't count the Sundays in Lent. And during that time, we, we look to Jesus and we seek to follow Jesus. So historically, Lent has been a time for baptismal preparation, for getting people ready for taking a new step in life. It's been a time for uh, membership preparation. Um, And more generally, it's been a time for all Christians to think anew, to think afresh, to kind of get a new angle on, okay, I made a commitment to this Christian thing. What does it mean? What does it look like? How am I doing on the path? Do I need to, did I get, get off track a little bit? Do I need to get back on track? So during the season, we've got these five opportunities for you highlighted in yellow on the slide here. We're going to be thinking about fasting and praying and listening, which might be more sort of traditional Christian practices, and then a couple of more contemporary practices of simplifying and unplugging over the course of these five weeks. Today, we begin with, um, with fasting and um, I'm glad that we get the chance to reflect on these disciplines. We'll do that not only in the worship service, but also with our 10 o'clock adult education and also in our Wednesday evening worship gathering. So we hope you can connect with us on any and all of those opportunities. Um, These five things are often called practices and sometimes they're called disciplines. My sense is that we're a little more comfortable with the language of practice um, 
and not maybe as comfortable with the language of discipline. I know that word brings up some uh, emotional responses for people because sometimes that word has been abused in different contexts, but I still think it's a good word. We are disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a, a follower or a learner or a, a student, and that's the posture that we put ourselves in um, to be disciples. So this is an opportunity for us to learn and to renew our sense of following along this path that we're called to follow. Um, and the word disciple is deep and rich. Think about um, people who have discipline, right? Like um, a musician, a professional musician, or a professional athlete. They have the discipline to practice over and over and over again. And think of the, the satisfaction and the impact that a well-disciplined, a well-trained musician or um, athlete can give to people the satisfaction, the impact they have after all that discipline and practice. Well, what about, think of the satisfaction and the impact that a well-disciplined, well-trained, well-alive and growing Christian could have on the world, right? What a, what a concept. The, um, you know, have, have sort of a goal, and our, our goal, you know, focusing on serving God's kingdom and loving our neighbors. So for us, we're starting with fasting. We're thinking about fasting as, as things get going, and narratives about fasting abound in the Bible. It's mentioned many times, and there's several different angles on fasting that are in Scripture. We're going to just look at a couple of them today. In the beginning of the Gospel, or thinking about Matthew 4 for today, um, we learn that Jesus did indeed go into the wilderness for a time of prayer and fasting in preparation for his ministry. That's part of the reason why Lent is 40 days. Um, and then just a couple chapters later, in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of this collection of teachings of Jesus, he's teaching about fasting and some other spiritual practices. Uh, reading that, that we often read this on um, Ash Wednesday. We heard some of it this past Wednesday. Um, Jesus teaches about fasting, about prayer, and about charity work. And he makes some interesting affirmations in this reading. Um, a couple things to, 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 to note um, that Jesus doesn't tell people, you should fast. He kind of makes the assumption that they should fast. And his words are geared towards encouraging them to fast for the right reasons. And the scripture goes like this. Jesus said, and whenever you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites, for they mark their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by God who is in secret. And God who sees in secret will reward you. So there's a sense of integrity in our spiritual practices, not to do it for show so that everybody thinks, oh, you know, look at Charlie. He's such a wonderfully religious person. That's not the intent of any of these practices, right? It's to get to the, the, the heart of the matter. And we see that clearly in the words of Jesus. So Lent is a time for us to give up something. That's sort of more contemporary language for fasting. You might know some, some folks give up eating meat and other things that people give up. That's really an effort to do some sort of fasting, some sort of sacrifice towards the purpose of drawing closer to God. And um, fasting isn't real popular in our culture. Sometimes we sort of joke about it. Sometimes we sort of avoid it. I know a pastor who almost every year during Lent would joke Say, well, this year for Lent, I'm giving up Brussels sprouts. You know, ha, ha, ha. Um, you know, it, and I get it. Fasting isn't real popular. The idea of self-denial isn't real popular. We live in a culture of abundance. It's a hard sell. But I think there's value 
in thinking about fasting, in voluntarily finding some way of making a sacrifice, of giving something up, of challenging ourselves um, to open ourselves to, to God and God's love in new ways, to develop maybe a different sense of, of hunger. So I'm hoping we can think about it a little bit. Now, I want to explore some of the biblical understandings of fasting. There's just a couple of references today. Um, the first one comes from the book of Joel, which is our scripture reading. And before we get to that reading, I want to do a little mini Bible lesson for you. Um, this is a poster that's actually downstairs in one of our Sunday school rooms. There are 66 books in our Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, and 39 in what we call the New, uh, 27 in what we call the New Testament. And among the Old Testament books, there are 17 that are called prophecy books. Five of them are considered to be the major prophets, mostly because they're longer, and 12 of them are considered the minor prophets because they're relatively short. The most popular, I guess I could say, of the minor prophets would probably be Amos and Micah and Jonah. Some of you might have some familiarity with those books, and I'm guessing a lot of you don't have familiarity with the other 12 minor prophets which are on the screen there. Our reading today comes from the little book of Joel, um, and I'd be really impressed if there were people here who knew a lot about the book of Joel. Um, it's a little book with three chapters in it, and the issue at hand is some sort of sin or some sort of something that the people did that was not pleasing to God. So God was angry at the people. Um, and there's talk about a locust swarm coming, and there's imagery of it like an army to de devour the people. So the leaders realize they need to do something, so they fast and pray, and they try to uh, call out to God and say, we will change our ways with the hope of um, receiving God's mercy and forgiveness. So in this reading, um, you'll hear that, the call to fast. It's important to know that um, sometimes when people were fasting, they would tear their clothes as a visible sign that they were fasting. But as we heard in the gospel reading, sometimes people did this visible show, whether tearing their, their clothes or praying in public and these visible displays without really changing from the inside. The book of Joel, the, the message in Joel, is really concerned with sincere fasting for, for the right reasons. And there's also a little reference in the reading for those of you who paid close attention while we were reading the book of Exodus, there's a wonderful affirmation after the golden cow incident when God is described as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that little, Greek, uh, little Hebrew word hesed. Um, and we mentioned how that phrase shows up over and over again in Scripture. Well, guess what? It shows up in our reading for today. Listen for God's word. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Thanks be to God for the words of Scripture. This is really the people coming before God and saying, we're sorry, we messed up. Help us get back on track. And in a sense... That's one way that we could approach the season of Lent, that each of us could figure out, recognize ways that we individually or maybe we collectively have messed up and gotten off track and need to get back on track. So that's one angle on fasting. People also fast for times of preparation. 
um, to prepare for a big event in their life or a transition in their life. And their biblical examples abound in that. Moses prayed when he was back and forth with God and the Ten Commandments and the the golden calf building people. Um, The prophet Elijah fasted and prayed. Um, Jesus himself fasted and prayed in in the beginning of the Gospels as well. As a time of preparation to prepare himself, Jesus was preparing himself for his ministry. So fasting in the biblical tradition gives people a chance to get away from the distractions and get some clarity and maybe get a new sense of hunger for for what is right, for what's meaningful, for what's purposeful in their lives. So um, through the challenge and, and the hunger, the literal or spiritual hunger, people get a greater sense of clarity. Um, in uh, Acts chapter, well, we're going to sing a hymn at the end of the service, actually, that celebrates the fasting of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and others as well. In Acts chapter 13 and 14, you'll see that the disciples gathered together. They're trying to figure out what to do. Jesus isn't here anymore physically. What do we do? How are we supposed to keep this going? So what do they do? They fast and they pray. They seek God's will and God's wisdom. So fasting can be an invitation for more clarity like that. One other way I want to highlight how people fast, and people fast out of a sense of solidarity um, and a sense of seeking justice in the world, Um, recognizing the fact that there are hungry people, people who are literally physically hungry in the world, when a lot of us don't usually experience that. And there's a reading from Isaiah that I want to share in a minute that captures both that sense of justice in the world and also recognizes, again, that too often the religious people go through the motions of their religious acts, be it fasting or prayer or whatever, without caring for the people around them. Um, Jesus had strong words for that. You heard that a little bit in, in, uh, in, in the Joel reading. You heard it in the, uh, in, the, in the Jesus reading. And here in the book of Isaiah, um, apparently the people were fasting but not paying attention to the real world situation around them. The scripture goes like this. Um, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice and undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Right? It's kind of like when Amos said, I don't want to hear your songs anymore. I don't want to hear your worship. Let justice flow like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You know, if the worship, the fasting, the praying that we do isn't connected to real life change, it's meaningless. So fasting in this sense is an invitation to renew oneself in the commitment for loving one's neighbor. When I was in college, I got an experience of this a few times. Every year, When I went to college, on the Thursday before Thanksgiving, there was a fast invitation. Students were invited to sign up ahead of time to give up the meal on the Thursday before Thanksgiving, you know, one week before the day when everybody eats too much, um, to give up breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or all three of them, on the school meal plan. And then the meal plan people made an arrangement with this organization called Oxfam America, a group that's kind of like Heifer International, working to help hungry people and poor people around the world. So they would take the money that I paid for those meals that I gave up and give it to Oxfam to help feed hungry people around the world. Now, at that point in my life, I had read a lot about hunger. I knew there were hungry people in the world. It troubled me, but that was the first time during that day that I really felt hungry for the first time. And it's one thing to read about 
a situation. It's another thing to really feel it, to experience it. So that was a profound experience for me and for lots of other people to think about what fasting can mean and to be, be in a sense of solidarity with people. Um, you know, I don't worry about having enough food on the table at this point in my life, but I know a lot of people do. I heard a presentation this week at Madison Downtown Rotary talking about poverty, and the presenter said that 17% of the population of Madison live below the poverty line. The poverty line being something like less than $15,000 a year. So one out of six people in Madison is existing on less than $15,000 a year. And I bet a lot of them are hungry, you know? Something to ponder as we enter into this season of, of Lent. So one other way to um, think about fasting is in terms of technology. Not something that we're going to see in the scripture, right? Because we didn't have technology 2,000 years ago. But a lot of people are recognizing um, that technology can be an issue for us. And so technology um, fasting can be popular. And I remember an early experience with this way back when I was an associate pastor. It was last century, last millennium even. It feels like a gazillion years ago because we seriously invited the congregation and the preschool that met at our church to uh, participate in a program called TV Free Week. And we encouraged people to just turn off the TVs for a week. And it seemed like a reasonable request at the time. This was before the, you know, a lot of cell phones and computers and everything took over our lives. I actually remember one time um, with the chapel service for the children in the preschool, I brought in a television on a cart and it had a big sign on it that had like the red no in it. But as the kids were walking in, one of the little kids coming down the aisle got all excited. It's like, TV, TV, we get to watch TV. And he was sadly disappointed that I was encouraging him to go screen free for the week. Well, that was good in those days, 25, 30 years ago to think about. But the world has changed a lot. And we use our screens for a lot of things. And we use our screens for a lot of good things. So the idea of going screen free for a week is probably impractical for most of us um, because of all the legitimate and good things that we use our screens for, calendars and banking and communication and all sorts of things. But even with that, the reality is that I know, and I'm guessing at least one or two or most of us or all of us know, is that sometimes our screens can just suck us into the vortex and we end up wasting a lot of time and doing foolish things. How many times have you picked up your phone or gone to your computer to check one thing and then 10, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, you're scrolling, clicking, and just in an endless cycle of looking at stuff that might not be so edifying, right? We're all you know, tempted by those sorts of things. So we need to be mindful of that. Um, it's possible. So fasting for, from technology is an option for us to consider in this season um, with the hope that we would free, you know, with all of this, that we would free up some space in our minds and our hearts and our lives to connect with God. You know, technology in itself isn't bad, um, but sometimes we use it in inappropriate ways. And we don't, we don't hear about technology in the Bible, but we do hear about idolatry, about worshiping the right things in the right way and not worshiping the wrong things um, as much as possible. So um, I want to encourage you to think in some way that's appropriate for you to consider some angle on fasting during this season of Lent. There are many ways to do it, and I want to offer just a couple of specific suggestions before I wrap up. Um, but before we do that, just a 
frame it a little bit with some questions and, and even a prayer. On, on Ash Wednesday, we use Psalm 51 a lot, and there's a wonderful phrase in there, verse 10, that has become sort of my prayer in the season of Lent, and I think it's helpful as a prayer as we consider the idea of fasting, and the, the, the verse goes, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So I, I've had this sort of sense through seasons of Lent, asking God, create a clean heart in me. You know, get me back on track. Help me be pure. Help me be authentic. Help me be real in my love for you and my attempt to love neighbors. Creating me a clean heart, Psalm 51, verse 10. That might be a good place to start before you think about specifics of fasting. And maybe in praying that prayer, you'll get some sense from God about what might be an area for you to consider fasting in. Some other questions to ponder. You know, what's taking too much time and energy in your life? What's distracting you? What's pulling you away from being your authentic and real self and your true self? And you know, where, where do you find yourself thinking, oh, why did I do those things or why did I do that thing? What's getting in the way of you connecting with God and connecting with God's word and God's love and God's spirit? So three, um, three things I want to suggest for you. Um, one of them is to fast from food. That's the traditional sort of fast that a lot of people do. Um, and you can do that in a variety of ways, um, to skip meals or to skip certain types of food. Some people fast from desserts during Lent. We need to remember Lent is not a diet plan, right? We're trying to connect with God. Um, but dif different foods are um, appropriate for you. Um, you could pray as you... Um, fast from food and think about hunger in the world and think about those people in Madison and all around the world who are, who are hungry um, and maybe try to channel the, the, the grumpiness or the tiredness or the agitation you might feel when your stomach is grumbling and think about how other people live with that on a daily basis and how you might you know, help to be a solution to some of those, those issues for people. One caveat with fasting from food is that... Um, if you're pregnant, if you're dealing with frail health issues, or if you have eating disorder issues, you probably should look for another way to experience God's grace um, and, and experience a different discipline during this season of, of Lent. Second option is to consider, as I mentioned a little bit already, is to consider fasting from social media or from some form of technology. Um, I know on Facebook, I've already seen several people say, goodbye, it's Lent, I'll see you, I'll see you on Easter Sunday. It's their, their practice to give up social media for the season, which I think is fine and great. Um, other things that you can do with social media or technology, um, I know some young adults who during stressful seasons of their lives will uninstall apps on their phone and just say, I'm just, I just can't deal with that right now. And I'll come back to Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever when the season is better for me. But they just kind of want to, it's like taking the cookie jar and, and putting it in a locked closet, right? Just getting, getting, getting rid of it for a while. Um, a milder version of that, something I did on my phone this week. I took Facebook and Instagram and put them in a folder, which doesn't sound like a big deal. But that's just one more little step I have to take before I jump into social media. It's, it's a little trigger for me, a little speed bump, if you will, so that it slows me down so I don't just automatically pick up my phone and, oh, I'm going to start scrolling on Facebook. It's like, okay, I want to be intentional about this. And, um, so that's, that's helpful for me. Um, 
You can also look at your settings if you want a little reality check. If you need some help with this, ask a, a younger person. But look at your settings and see how much time you're spending on your phone each day or each week or how much time you're spending on social media. You might be a little you know, surprised by the amount of that, depending on where you are. A little reality check for you might not be a bad thing to, uh, to look at. You could put limits on the time. You know, I could go into my phone and say, I'm only going to do Facebook for one hour per week. And then when I get to the one hour mark, it'll lock me out of that. And then it's my choice whether or not I override that and continue or not, right? But there's little, little ways that we can help ourselves to sort of get back on track. And let me be clear here, with these and all these ways of fasting, um, this is not me or God or the church saying you can't have fun in life. It's not that at all. Life is good. Life is fun. We should enjoy life. We can do things that are relaxing and pleasurable, and we need time off. We need things to relax with. But we just need to be mindful about it. We need to be careful because sometimes those good things take over and become too dominant in our lives. So we've got um, fasting from food. We've got fasting from technology. And then the third one is just sort of a, a general catch-all of fasting from anything that might be getting in the way. Um, and that's for, for us to figure out, you know, anything that's out of balance in your life in any way, shape, or form. Um, maybe it's TV. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's watching sports. Maybe it's alcohol, right? There could be all sorts of things in our lives that are getting in the way of us being our authentic selves and crowding out God and crowding out purpose and meaning and direction in our lives. Um, in his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, The Path to Spiritual Growth, Richard Foster says, um, fasting helps us keep our balance in life. How easily we begin to allow non-essentials to take precedence in our lives. How quickly we crave things that we do not need until we're enslaved by them. In the book of Exodus, we read about how God rescued the people from slavery and brought them on the journey to the promised land, setting them free. Fasting with awareness to the things that enslave us can set us free for new life and new meaning and new purpose. Now, one quick friendly reminder, fasting is for you to consider. Fasting is not for you to go to your spouse or your friend or your neighbor and say, you know, you really should be fasting from whatever this thing is. Please do not have that conversation after church or say, Pastor Shirley told me that I should tell you to fast from something. That's not the point, so don't go there. However, if you want to have a trusting and gracious conversation with a loved one, and maybe share what you're thinking about fasting from. That might be a nice way of gently and lovingly um, encouraging one another in fasting. But be nice to one another, okay? <laughs> so, thinking about fasting, um, remember the purpose ultimately is to somehow, some way, connect with God and get back on track and, and uh, connect with God's love for us and God's call for us to, to, to love one another in the world. Um, and there's lots of ways to fast. I've just scratched the surface today. I want to close with this quote from Gerald May, who's a psychiatrist, and he's done a lot of work with addiction over the years. Wonderful, wonderful human being. And um, one of his wonderful quotes says, St. Augustine once said that God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. Maybe this season of Lent is a time for us to fast from the things that fill up our lives and our hearts and our minds and our souls and to make room for the God of life and love who wants to give us new purpose, new direction, and new hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.